Hey everybody, welcome to another Ithaca Bound podcast episode. I'm your host, Andrew Schiestel, joining you today from Tunisia. And this is the podcast where we explore history and mythology in the Mediterranean basin. Today I'm joined with Dr. Brian Sandberg for a conversation about the Medici family during the Italian Renaissance. Dr. Sandberg is a historian at Northern Illinois University based in the U.S. where he has been there since 2006. From 2003 to, to 2006, Dr. Sandberg performed his postdoc with the Medici Archive Project based in Florence, Italy. He has written numerous publications over his career, including authoring a couple books as examples. He's author of the book, War and Conflict in the Early Modern World, 1500 to 1700, which was published by Polity Press. And he's also author of the book, Warrior Pursuits, Noble Culture and Civil Conflict in Early Modern France, which was published by John Hopkins University Press. And Dr. Sandberg joins the show today from the U.S. Welcome to the show, O'Brien. Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me on. It is wonderful to chat with you, Brian. I'm looking forward to the, uh, the dialogue. We're looking forward to the conversation today. So to start off, uh, and to produce enough context and background, Brian, and then we can, of course, work our way into the, the details in the, in, in, in the dialogue. Um, can, you, can you share, um, in a historical context, um, who the uh, Medici family was in the time period that we're speaking about, the, uh, the Italian Renaissance? Sure. Uh, the Medici family uh, origins are, are rather nebulous. We, we don't know a whole lot about uh, the early family uh, in the Middle Ages. Um, but by the 14th century, uh, this was a family in the Mugello region of Tuscany, which is sort of the foothills of the Alps. Uh, and they gradually got into uh, merchant banking. Uh, and as they got into that activity, uh, they moved into Florence, which was the big city in the region. Uh, and there, uh, they gradually worked their way up uh, the hierarchy of families uh, within uh, Renaissance Florence, uh, as the Renaissance is really getting going uh, in the 14th century and into the 15th century. Okay. So we, so we can think of them as, as uh, petty uh, merchants, uh, small-time bankers, gradually then becoming bigger merchants and bankers, and eventually they become uh, citizens of Florence. Uh, and essentially nobles. And there are really a lot of uh, debates about uh, nobility and noble status uh, in the early modern period, especially in areas like Italy that are often not thought of as having uh, nobilities, but, but of course they did. And uh, the criteria for noble status varied uh, in different uh, states and regions all across Europe. Uh, but the Medici were, enabled to, were able to become ennobled uh, once they were in uh, Florence. Okay. And we're chatting about the Italian Renaissance period today. And uh, we chatted about this prior to coming on the show. We would, um, for the sake of demarcating the, the conversation from a time period perspective, um, we would follow convention and uh, define that period to be approximately the 14th to 17th centuries. Um, is, but is anything known about the de Medici's prior to the 14th century? 
Um, there's some very early records, and I'm, I'm not really familiar with those uh, records uh, personally, since my research focuses on the, the family in the 16th century and, and 17th centuries, but uh, there are some people who've worked on uh, the Medici and their connection with some other families, uh, you know, in the broader region around Florence. Uh, but it's really that move into Florence in the 14th century that makes them uh, significant for the broader historical record. And yeah, there's an interesting connection there, too, with uh, the idea of the Renaissance. Uh, the, the Renaissance as a term uh, really only comes in in the 19th century. It's historians looking back on the period who used the term Renaissance. Nonetheless, the notion of a rebirth uh, in the aftermath of the Black Death is very powerful in uh, what we call Renaissance uh, art and literature and culture. Uh, and so the Medici were really becoming active in Florence uh, and becoming major players in, in Florentine politics uh, in the aftermath of the Black Death. And what, what year, so we have it flagged, what, what year is the Black Death believed for the most part to have dissipated? So the Black Death proper, the initial wave of uh, bubonic plague that spread through Europe was uh, 1348 to 51, so middle of the 14th century. But then there were localized uh, outbreaks of the plague after that, what we call recurrent plague, that went all the way into the early 18th century. But uh, the, the initial wave of the Black Death there in the middle of the 14th century uh, really destabilized uh, European societies, and especially areas that had uh, high urbanized populations like Italy. So the, the rebirth uh, of Italian city-states uh, in the late 14th century and early 15th century following the Black Death is what we typically associate with that notion of rebirth and what we call Renaissance uh, Italy today. And then the cultural movements that came out of that period continued for a couple of centuries, uh, particularly uh, some of the artistic movements uh, like mannerism, uh, some of the intellectual movements, literary movements like humanism. Uh, but these came out of that uh, rebirth period following the huge uh, population losses and, and social chaos uh, following the Black Death. Okay, so let's go to, and we'll, 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 we'll cover obviously a few different things with the, uh, the Medici's in the conversation today because they seem to be certainly involved in a variety of, of things and it doesn't appear to have been uh, a, small, a small family. Um, so let's start with, uh, with, 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 with banking. Can you, can you describe, um, what's known about, um, uh, them foraying into, into banking for the first time? And as part of your response, could you, uh, share what the environment, um, around banking would have, would have been, I presume it was in Florence. Um, it'll come up in your response, uh, obviously, but so presuming they, they started the bank banking, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. Presuming they started the, the 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 company or companies in 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 Florence, can you also share um, not only what's known about them starting the the uh, entering the banking industry, but also what the environment would have been like for for banking in Florence at that given time when they were starting? Yeah. So we have to think about uh, banks as very different institutions in the Renaissance than they are today. Um, th th these were not. Um, uh, big buildings uh, that were, uh, you know, 
with columns on the front of them, uh, you know, and housing huge vaults, uh, as, as we think of deposit banks today. These are merchant banks. So uh, they were run by families, uh, like the Medici, uh, who had family members scattered in different port cities often, uh, and they're conducting trade, uh, but they're also moving money around. Uh, and one of the real innovations uh, of the Renaissance period wasn't by the Medici family uh, personally, but they came to use it, was the use of uh, letters of credit, uh, different ways of moving money around where uh, travelers who were exposed to dangers uh, could just carry slips of paper with them from one town to another uh, in order to get out money at a new place. Uh, th these were not like our modern checks. You had to go to one of the um, uh, family members of one of these merchant banks in one town and give them money and get a letter of credit in return and then go to one of their uh, family members in another port in order to get out money. So it, it's, it's a peculiar way of doing transfer of money uh, but you can see the connection to uh, modern uh, debit cards uh, and ways of moving money around today uh, in order to travel safely. So the, the Medici were important merchant bankers and they developed a network of family members uh, who were in, uh, in France uh, and in uh, the Levant uh, across the Mediterranean, uh, were eventually in uh, the Netherlands and in various other countries uh, around Europe and the Mediterranean conducting their merchant banking activities. Is there any um, any uh, uh, anything in the in the in the records that that shows that uh, they they had these? And I'm trying not to use anachronistic terms, but I probably naturally naturally will, and I think you'll understand my <laughs> my, my 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 question. Um, it, it, these different um, uh, individuals or enterprises at uh, other locations. Um, throughout the um, uh, throughout throughout the continent, I think, uh, or possibly more than one one uh, um, continent. But uh, so some of the regions that you that that you said, so like in the Levant, and um, I believe you mentioned the the, the Netherlands. So um, was it always a family member that um, that that was the receiving end of these le letters of credit is is there anything in the records that shows that they went beyond uh their 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 family ties to facilitate that those kind of transactions well they, they certainly had broad households and um i mentioned that uh, the banks were not physical buildings in the sense of a modern bank today uh, instead they'd be operating them out of their their palazzo in florence their family palazzo uh, and out of their, uh, you know, different uh, residential buildings that they had in other uh, port cities too. So it did tend to be a family member, but often it could be from the extended family, not a, not, not a nuclear family concept, but the, but the broader family bringing in various cousins. And then also they had lots of different uh, household servants, uh, including, uh, you know, a, members of uh, other noble families who were intermarried with uh, the Medici. Uh, so it's these broader household networks and connections that they're drawing on in order to conduct these uh, merchant banking activities. And realize, I mean, they're, they're, when I say merchant, the merchant end of it, I mean, they're, they're buying and selling goods uh, as well as moving money around. And they're also uh, given the... Uh, uh, 
notoriety of Florence in the art market <laughs> of the day. Uh, they were uh, buying and selling lots of art, also gifting lots of art. Uh, and so uh, all of the cultural products that we associate with uh, the Renaissance, uh, painting and sculpture and uh, metals and, and all sorts of different artworks that were being produced in Florence, uh, these are part of the networks of uh, exchange that the Medici are involved in, uh, you know, from the 15th century. Why do you think, um, and I, and I want to go obviously to some, some different, different topics like being patrons of art and um, perhaps different business ventures they might have been into. I want to cover um, re- religion as well in this conversation from, from the uh, Catholic Church uh, perspective. Um, but why do you think when it comes to, uh, the letters of credit, I think you said, correct me if I'm inaccurate in your response. I think you said that they didn't invent the letters of credit, but it certainly sounds like they popularized it. Why, why do you think that, um, they were able to do this? Like, did, did they, did they, did they take advantage of the concept and leverage and leveraged it? better than anybody else had done previously. Um, leverage could mean from a perspective of distance. Um, that came into your response. What do you think it was about uh, how, how they applied this concept of the letters of credit that helped them, um, that actually made it plausible and helped them grow, grow um, this, this bank or, or, or banks that they, that they owned? Yeah, so if you want to think of these new credit mechanisms, uh, the family most associated with the innovation, specifically the letters of credit, is the Dattini family from Prato, which is uh, near Florence, uh, but a little bit earlier uh, than the Medici, uh, you know, rose to prominence. Um, So the Medici were not unique in using these uh, new credit mechanisms uh, of the Italian Renaissance. Uh, All of the other uh, major merchant banking families within Florence and other competing cities too, uh, Pisa and Siena and and cities further afield, were also starting to use these uh, credit mechanisms. But one of the things I think that gradually set the Medici apart, especially by the mid uh, 15th century, say the 1450s, when you have Cosimo il Vecchio, or Cosimo the Older uh, de' Medici is the, the leading patriarch of the, of the family, uh, is that they developed uh, networks of political patronage. Uh, you also mentioned art patronage, that's definitely there, also religious patronage. Uh, but the combination of these different forms of uh, patronage by the, the period of the mid-15th century uh, made uh, the Medici one of the leading families in Florence. So they have political power, uh, they have artistic and cultural influence, they have religious patronage and, and power uh, within uh, Florence, uh, and they're also very wealthy on top of that. Uh, but they had really become noble families by the middle of the 15th century. And, and this is one of the big debates uh, in European history. There, there was long a notion uh, that uh, somehow nobles uh, came from landholding, uh, not from moneyed interests and merchant activity. And so 19th century, early 20th century historians often looked at the Medici and said, well, they're not real nobility uh, because you know they got their starts in, in 
merchant banking and that sort of dirty money, not the clean money of uh, land holding. Uh, um, but that view has really been revised significantly in the past uh, 40 years or so. Uh, so we now understand that uh, the process of ennoblement uh, of uh, families becoming noble across Europe, not just in Italy, uh, was ongoing all the time throughout the Middle Ages and early modern periods. And so the Medici are just one example of many uh, families who uh, earned money through merchant banking and then gradually uh, became ennobled. Did they get into any? Did they get into any other um, sectors in a? in a material, in a substantial way, um, in, in, the, in the records, um, Brian. Uh, doc, Dr. Um, uh, Brian as well, Dr. Brian uh, Breggi of Syracuse University has been on the show in the past, and we had a, a, a very nice conversation on commerce in Florence during the, the Renaissance. It wasn't specifically about the Medici family, but more broadly about commerce um, in Florence during, during the, during the uh, Italian Renaissance. But something that um, stood out for me that I remember him mentioning, and I'm paraphrasing obviously a little bit, but it's that um, certain uh, groups or families uh, wouldn't be in just one. It, it was common that certain groups and families would be in multiple sectors, um, not necessarily just just one. So when it comes to the Medici family, um, were they only in banking or um, is there evidence that shows that they were um, in other sectors in, in um, let's say this area, in the, the Tuscany area, in a, in a substantial way. Oh, absolutely. So by the, by the 15th century, the, the time period I was just referencing with uh, Cosimo Vecchio de' Medici, uh, I mean, they're buying up uh, multiple, multiple palazzi, so the, uh, the noble palaces within the city of Florence itself. Uh, they're also starting to uh, buy or construct villa out in the countryside. Uh, then they're involved in their merchant activity. Uh, they're patronizing all sorts of art. And of course, Florence was really um, you know, one of the key cities uh, of the Renaissance period for developing new uh, forms of artwork. And, and that's done by workshops that are patronized by uh, the noble families uh, in Florence. That's how they're able to get the money to produce the, uh, the artwork uh, that they're doing. And at the same time, uh, building that uh, political and uh, artistic and religious patronage involves uh, the Medici family and the competing families in Florence too, uh, investing lots of money uh, in all of the cultural and religious institutions in Florence. So Cosimo Invecchio is just one example. Uh, he uh, has a number of chapels built. Uh, he's very involved uh, in uh, the convent of San Marco in Florence, and indeed he sort of retires to it toward the end of his life, uh, lives there uh, in a cell that's been decorated personally for him, as well as he funds uh, uh, decorations for the rest of the, the convent uh, in general. Uh, so that's just one example of this type of fusion of uh, the moneyed interests with the art and cultural patronage but also the political patronage, because in, in investing these sorts of money in uh, cultural and artistic and religious uh, endeavors, uh, Cosimo Vecchio was also spreading his uh, political influence, uh, building alliances uh, with certain other uh, families within Florence and also beyond Florence. 
What's, uh, what was their relationship officially with the, um, with the Catholic Church? I, I, I've read that uh, some of the family members, I'm pretty certain in this period, um, were, were popes. Um, can, you, can you speak about what's, what's known about, uh, about that, that area? Sure. So the, the Medici developed a very close relationship uh, with the, the institutional uh, Catholic Church. Of course, th this is the uh, Latin-speaking church of all of uh, Western and, and Central uh, Europe at, at the time. Um, so we often refer to it uh, as the Latin Christian Church because it was, it was unitary uh, in that sense across uh, Western and Central Europe. Um, and the Medici, like many other noble families in the 15th century, uh, in any of the Italian city-states, uh, started to have family members as clergy. Uh, so uh, often it's a second or third son of a given generation uh, of the family. Uh, they, they become uh, bishops or eventually cardinals. Uh, and so then it's, it's in the early uh, 16th century uh, that the Medici finally uh, get one of those clergy uh, members to get elected as Pope. And this is uh, Pope Leo X, uh, who was very influential uh, in the early uh, 16th century. Uh, and eventually they would have a second Pope in the family. Uh, that's Pope Clement VII, uh, a little bit later uh, in uh, the 16th century. So can you expand on what there, what, and the, you know, a lot of this might have to be inferred, but I, but I think it's a worthwhile um, question. Um, in in more modern terms, I think it's modern times. It's it's easy for us to look at um, someone's endeavor with with uh, you know, let's say, commerce on one end, and then politics on another, and then religion on another, and 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 um, reasonably say that those should you know those should be um, se se separated. Um, when it comes to you back, you know, we're going, we're, 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 we're in the 14th to 17th centuries. Um, what, what do you think their aspirations were? If, if, they, if you even believe it really was aspirations in having, uh, some of their family members, um, be, become, um, pontiffs. Um, and, and I, and I do want to, I want to open that question up even, even, even more. Um, it, it is, is there any, maybe, maybe part of your response, if, if possible, Brian, um, speaking about what, what's known about their, uh, their, their religious um, belief systems, that what is known about the family members' religious belief systems with, uh, with Christianity? Sure. Uh, so you know, we have a tendency in the, in the modern world to try to separate religion and politics. Uh, and that's very strong uh, in the United States, but I think it's also pretty strong in, in Western Europe, especially since uh, the, the French Revolution. Um, but in the, in the Renaissance, you really couldn't uh, separate religion and politics uh, for several reasons. Uh, first of all, religion is, in this time period, one of the dimensions of the universe, how the understanding how the universe works partly had to do with understanding nature, but also through understanding religion. 
so there, there was not that sharp distinction between uh, science and religion either uh, in the Renaissance. Uh, and so thinking about politics, uh, it'd be impossible to dissociate oneself from the world and the universe in, in thinking about politics. So once you, um, once you accept that notion, uh, then you can see that everyone uh, was to a certain extent religious um, in this period. Uh, and, and atheism was not really um, uh, an acceptable notion at all. Uh, that said, I mean, there were some people who were skeptical about certain individual religious beliefs or practices, and religion of Christianity uh, did change over time. Uh, the Medici uh, certainly were very involved uh, in all the generations of the family uh, in their local Catholic churches. Uh, they attended uh, religious services uh, weekly, uh, some of them daily. Uh, they did private devotional uh, prayers in their own personal chapels, which they invested lots of money in. Uh, you know, the, the Medici Palace in Florence, you can go to today and see uh, one of the uh, chapels there in, in that building. Uh, also the Palazzo Vecchio, which um, was the old city hall uh, of Florence, but became the, the Medici uh, effectively ruling palace uh, once there were dukes and then grand dukes of Florence, that's in the 16th century, uh, that building too has private chapels. So the Medici were very involved uh, in religion, as were all of the Florentine uh, families. Um, and the connection with the popes is also that religion and politics for Florentines, including the Medici, were very intertwined because uh, you know, Florentine, the Florentine Republic and later uh, um, ducal and grand ducal state uh, had close relationships with the papal states. We have to remember that the papacy as an institution, the, the pope uh, and the uh, curia of the, of the cardinals, uh, was part of a territorial state. Still is today. The Vatican City is a territorial state, but it's much smaller than it was uh, during the Middle Ages and the Renaissance period, when the Papal States, uh, you know, made up a good portion of Central Italy. So Florentines always had to uh, be negotiating with the Papal States, uh, had to be worried about the Papal States intervening in their affairs. Uh, and Florence, for most of uh, the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, was a republic until the Medici eventually uh, took power there. The Papal States uh, was always a changing institution because of the election of popes. Uh, you could occasionally have uh, popes from the same family. The Medici had two uh, popes from their family who were elected during the same century. Uh, but often, uh, the papacy would change from one family to another, uh, for several years, it would be one Italian city-state uh, that had a family member as pope, then another, uh, sometimes a, a French or Spanish a cardinal would get elected. Uh, so that rotating uh, dynamic of leadership of the territorial states, of the papal states, uh, made it complicated uh, for Florence to negotiate uh, central Italian politics in this period. So religion and politics were, I would argue, always intertwined very closely uh, for the Medici family uh, and also for the Florentine state. 
Yeah, you spoke into the, the the milieu. I was I was you know you you understood what I was getting at with that that question. Um, so thank you. I was I was um, wishing for you to kind of describe what that what that milieu was at that time at that given time with these different areas of uh, of, of life. How do you think that um, how do you think that helped them having um, certain family members as as popes at given times? Well, I mean, certainly uh, Pope Leo X, uh, who was uh, in power in the 15-teens and early 1520s, uh, he, he had a lot of power, uh, and he was uh, instrumental in bringing the Medici uh, back into control of Florence. The, the Medici had several periods where they were exiled uh, from Florence, and he was instrumental in restoring uh, Medici power within uh, the city-state of, of Florence in the early 16th century. Um, you know, the, the second pope, Clement VII, uh, he ended up, uh, I would argue, blundering a bit in his uh, negotiations. He ended up with a real coalition against him, including uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, Charles V. Uh, and Charles V sent an army uh, to pressure uh, Clement VII, and his army commander, uh, seems to have lost control of his troops, and that's where you end up with the sack of Rome uh, in 1527, which was absolutely disastrous uh, for uh, Roman society, uh, but it also uh, really damaged the, the Medici uh, politics within uh, the papal states. Um, so let's, let's talk um, uh, the politics then, because that's come up a few times in, in your uh, in some of your responses, Brian. So you had mentioned that uh, uh, Florence was a republic, so the, re the Republic of uh, Florence. You mentioned that the, the Medicis um, began to, I know come out more in your response, became to uh, uh, rule the, the state. So can you speak about the circumstances of, so you have the Republic of Florence, and then there... What what comes next is uh, the my understanding is that the uh, the duchy of of, of Florence. Um, so yeah, can you can you talk about what happened and how the the the, the Medici's um, began to um, rule in you know the the state and to what degree when we say rule right to what degree that that actually um, what that looks like in in reality. Sure. Uh, so the Medici family uh, is associated with the uh, sort of high point of the Florentine Republic, uh, but also their history is closely intertwined with the dissolution and disappearance of the Florentine Republic. Uh, so if we go back to the mid-15th century, we talked about Cosimo il Vecchio, or Cosimo the older, Elder uh, de' Medici, being you know one of the leading... Um, family member, uh, leading, a patriarch of uh, one of the leading families in Florence. So that's the period in the mid-15th century when the Medici had really achieved uh, becoming one of the leading uh, noble families uh, within Florence. Well, they got involved in a lot of controversy uh, within Florentine politics. Um, and it's his uh, grandson, uh, Lorenzo il Magnifico, or Lorenzo the Magnificent, uh, who's most associated with the, the sort of apex of, of Florentine society. Uh, you know, artists like Botticelli uh, doing artworks for him. Uh, Lorenzo was, uh, you know, guiding uh, the Florentine uh, politics. 
uh, in the uh, you know 1460s, uh, 70s, 80s, and there was uh, you know relative peace uh, across the Italian peninsula in that period. And some have argued that uh, Lorenzo's negotiating was uh, very important uh, for that. Uh, but there was a lot of jealousy among some of the uh, other Florentine uh, families who were not closely allied uh, with the Medici and didn't feel like they were, um, uh, you know, getting their fair shake within uh, the, um, the political system. Uh, one of those families, the Pazzi, uh, P-A-Z-Z-I, the Pazzi, uh, ended up doing some negotiations with uh, the Papal States at that time, and they launched a conspiracy in 1478 uh, intended to remove the young uh, Lorenzo il Magnifico uh, and his brother. Uh, they launched this conspiracy in the Cathedral of Florence, the Duomo uh, itself, uh, and uh, some of their um, armed men killed uh, Giuliano, uh, the brother of Lorenzo il Magnifico, tried to kill Lorenzo too, but he escaped. And because he escaped, the Medici rallied and they suppressed the Pazzi, executed uh, most of them uh, and their followers, or exiled them. Uh, so that was in 1478, and after this notorious Pazzi conspiracy, uh, Lorenzo Magnifico went on to really bring the Florentine Republic uh, uh, to its apex in terms of power, arguably, uh, but also, he effectively was uh, dominating the political system uh, through alliances. He was not the actual ruler of Florence, but he was calling the shots. So from that point on, uh, some historians have seen the Medici as aiming for uh, direct rule, trying to bring down uh, the Florentine Republic. It wouldn't happen until later, and I mentioned there were several exiles uh, and those had happened in the late 15th century and also in the early 16th century. Um, but just after Lorenzo il Magnifico died, uh, the whole political system of Florence and Italy uh, as, as an entire peninsula were shook up uh, when the Italian Wars started in 1494. So that's sort of a whole different chapter of Florentine politics. Uh, in which you can see uh, Florence getting more and more mired uh, in the Italian wars, which ultimately will destroy uh, the Florentine Republic and bring the Medici to power as dukes. Okay, so can you, um, more, more in summary, because I'm, I'm confident multiple episodes could be covered on the Duchy of, of Florence <laughs> <laughs> as, a, as a period and as a state and stuff. Um, but can you can you describe then if they're dukes now? Can you describe what what that what that entails? What 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 the um, what the um, the authority that comes with being a duke and what what the status of? I know it's a it's probably you know it's a duchy, so that that is a, that is a type of state. But can you explain what that basically means in pragmatic terms? So uh, the uh, institution of the of the Duchy of Florence, and then the, that would very quickly uh, get a name change into the Grand Duchy of Tuscany, uh, and you can tell by that name change that this is linked to a growing territorial size uh, of the state, and also the growing ambitions of the Medici family as they really become a ruling 
dynasty. They're no, no longer uh, in the 16th century uh, just members of the uh, noble elite of the citizens of Florence. Instead, uh, by uh, 1530, uh, they become real rulers, direct rulers, princely rulers uh, of Florence and then of Tuscany. So um, the way in which they are uh, accomplishing this is that they are able to negotiate and navigate uh, some, some of the twists and turns of the Italian wars uh, and come out on top. They're not always on top uh, in Florence uh, in that early part of the 16th century, uh, but they end up on top. Uh, so just, just a couple of uh, quick examples of, of how much things uh, changed during the Italian wars. Uh, so the, the French invaded uh, Italy uh, and very quickly, uh, the Habsburg family, uh, which uh, held the Holy Roman Emperor's uh, position in, in, in Germany, and, and later also they would have the, the Kingdom of Spain, they intervened in Italy too. So uh, Italy became a doormat for competition between uh, the French and the uh, imperialists uh, up and down the peninsula of Italy. And Florence uh, was part of that too. So uh, Savonarola uh, took over Florence uh, and imposed, this was a monk who imposed a theocratic government for a few years in Florence. Uh, then uh, the Florentine Republic came back. This is when you have Niccolo Machiavelli uh, as Chancellor of the Florentine Republic. Uh, and then Pope Leo X from the Medici reinstated Medici influence in Rome. Uh, and then you had several more uh, conflicts in the war that led to the, the sack of Rome. And finally, uh, after the sack of Rome, uh, Florence was besieged by an imperial army in 1530. Uh, and it was the Holy Roman Emperor, Charles V, that installed uh, Alessandro de' Medici as the first Duke of Florence. Uh, so it's 1530s uh, where you really have the Medici become direct rulers, princely rulers uh, of Florence during the Italian Wars. That was, you said, 1530? Yeah, the siege is in 1530, and uh, I think it's in 1532 when Alessandro is officially installed uh, you know, with the title of Duke of Florence. But it's in the aftermath of that siege that the Medici become princely rulers. So in the Republic of Florence, they were very influential in politics, it sounds like. And then uh, when the Duchy of Florence, 1532, when that came into inception, it's a monarchy at that point. Yeah, essentially. So they don't have the, the, the titles of uh, kings. Uh, so you can think about it as a, as a principality or as princely ruled technically rather than, than monarchy. Uh, but... They very quickly become uh, one of the principal uh, principalities of all of Europe because um, Alessandro de' Medici doesn't last very long as, as ruler, uh, but the next ruler, uh, Cosimo Primo de' Medici, or Cosimo I, uh, he's able to negotiate with uh, the Holy Roman Emperor and get the title elevated to Grand Duke of Tuscany rather than just Duke of Florence. And that gives you an idea of the ambitions of uh, Cosimo Primo uh, and the Medici family in general uh, by the mid-16th century. 
that they do see themselves as sort of quasi-kings. Grand Duke is a very rare title uh, in European history in this period. Uh, and uh, so they see themselves as above any of the other dukes within uh, Italy, and they can't claim to be on the same level quite as uh, the kings of Europe or much less the Holy Roman Emperor, uh, but they have ambitions to get there. Did uh, did heirs um, was it was it still an heir uh, system through through family families? Um, was it uh, primogeniture as as a practice? And is it is it that um, they still required cor um, approval or uh, a, a coronation from the uh, Holy Roman? Empire is that part of why it was a a, a duchy and they're they're considered closer to um, like a princedom than let's say kings and uh, and queens and it being uh, a, a kingdom. Yeah, so I mean the the um, sort of the, the the rules in international politics uh, of the period are pretty complicated in terms of how different. Uh, noble titles and, and princely titles uh, work. Uh, but this is the institution of an entirely new uh, princip uh, principality. So it's, it's effectively a new state uh, that is uh, carved out, uh, and it's also uh, a new princely title. So they have to sort of negotiate over some time exactly how they fit in the pecking order of uh, European princely rulers who have uh, various different titles. But by taking that title of Grand Duke, uh, the Medici are trying to establish that they're above the other Italian uh, states that are ruled by simple dukes, who are not Grand Dukes. So they're, they're claiming that they're at a higher rank. Um, in terms of passing on, then, titles in this new princely state, uh, they do basically follow uh, primogenitor. Uh, should note that Cosimo Primo was part of a uh, sort of a cadet line of the Medici family, the, the principal line ha having died out earlier on uh, in the Italian wars. Uh, but, uh, you know, Cosimo does establish, um, you know, a, a firm succession. Uh, his son, Francesco Primo, takes over from him. Uh, and uh, then it's one of uh, uh, Francesco's uh brothers who ends up taking over next, Ferdinando Primo, uh, because Francesco did not have a, a male heir, uh, and they're freezing out the, the women uh, as rulers. There, there are very few states uh, in uh, the Renaissance period where you had female direct rulers. Women could have lots of power and influence uh, as regents. Uh, and as uh, queens or uh, duchesses, uh, but uh, there are only certain states, like England, uh, where you could have uh, a woman rule directly. Okay. So we covered uh, quite a bit of ground in this conversation today. Um, and Brian, we, we talked about politics, we talked about religion, religious uh, milieu in this, in this period of time, them being patrons, we talked about their ventures, banking, um, as a as a as an example. Um, if you were to summarize a closing question by the end of the period that we're speaking about, so the 17th century, um, and again, 
perfectly fine to summarize for the for, for the for the end of uh, you know in 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 getting closer to wrapping up this uh, conversation today. How would you describe what their family was? Uh, the, the composition of it in the in the con in the context of what we've just chatted about, right? So were they still in banking? Um, were they were they still leaders politically? Were they still big patrons of art? Um, it's a, it's a it's a broad question, but it but I think it kind of creates a, a a bit of a uh, either juxtaposition or at least a bookend on this conversation. Yeah, I think you could talk about the Medici uh, family in terms of rising ambition. So, so they go from these uh, petty uh, merchant bankers to major merchant bankers to nobles, uh, and then eventually to a uh, very high nobility and indeed a princely family uh, with ambitions to be uh, on the leading stage in European uh, politics. Uh, and a nice way to remember that is to think of the, the Medici coat of arms, uh, which is a, a series of balls, or palle uh, in Italian. Uh, and they, they changed their coat of arms. They were all red uh, balls on their uh, coat of arms, uh, but they changed the one at the top to a blue one uh, with a fleur-de-lis on it. Uh, and that's, of course, because of Caterina de' Medici and then Maria de' Medici, uh, both marrying into uh, the ruling monarchical family in France. And so you can see the ambitions of the Medici, that they want to rise up and marry into the leading uh, monarchical and imperial families in, in Europe, uh, and they want to reach that status. And so uh, if we had more time, we could talk about Caterina de' Medici and Maria de' Medici as uh, queens and queens regent uh, in France. Uh, but I think that's probably another story. Yeah, and um, there's more episodes that can always always be done. I know there's um, uh, Catherine de' Medici has come up as well as as another de' Medici on this episode with a friend of yours, um, Professor Emeritus Mac Mac Holt with uh, George Mason uh, University. Sure. Um, all right. So what? Uh, so closing question. Brian, what if the de Medici? It's a what if question, right? So these these are never easy, right? Because uh, but I want to ask it anyways. Um, and, and it's your it's your it's your opinion. Um, if if the de Medici, to what degree do you think the de Medici influenced the Italian Renaissance occurring the way it did? I think they're incredibly influential. I mean, there there's certainly many other uh, noble and princely families that were that were integral. Uh, to the development of the Renaissance, but the, the Medici uh, were one of the most influential families, one of the most powerful politically, uh, and they were very engaged in the uh, artistic and literary and cultural movements that we really associate with uh, uh, the Renaissance today. Uh, and I think one way we can see how integral uh, they were is to look at uh, a current ex exhibition uh, at the Metropolitan Museum of Art at the Met uh, in New York City. Right now, they're hosting a big uh, exhibition on the Medici portraits and politics. Uh, and so you can get a glimpse of that online. They have an online version of the exhibit, or you can go to New York if you're able to travel to it and, and see it in person. Okay, thank you for coming on the show today, Brian. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Andrew. It was great. So again, everybody, the couple books that I mentioned at the start of the episode that Dr. Sandberg wrote, he's author of War and Conflict in the Early Modern World, 
1500 to 1700, and also author of Warrior Pursuits, Noble Culture and Civil Conflict in Early Modern France. I'll drop links to both the books in the show notes on the IthacaBound.com's associated subpage to this episode. Brian and everybody listening, as always, wishing you a marvelous journey. Bye for now. Hey again, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast and I wish you a bountiful rest of your day. Bye for now.